We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have like a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. All righty, everybody. Joining us now for... Uh, a couple minutes here to talk about the Pacers' loss to the Miami Heat in Game 2 is Kevin Bowen from 1070 The Fan. KB, thanks for joining, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, Alex. All right, so me and Fachi spent about 30, 40 minutes there talking about a lot of this stuff. So uh, just curious, you know, first thing that comes to mind when you thought about why the Pacers lost this game. You know, I would say the most uh, maddening aspect is I really thought you lost some scouted report. And when you have a personnel deficiency without DeMontis Sabonis, you cannot lose the scouting report. Um, teams are just too good in the playoffs, and Miami is the better team, and you just you just cannot lose that. And when Duncan Robinson hit the first one, and then the second one, and then the third one, I'm just like, what are we even doing here? I mean, yeah. you know, it, it's it's do not leave in all caps in a 100-point font on the scouting report, and I get it. He makes tough shots, and at times you think you have them, and and you know an offensive rebound happens, but you can't have those lapses. You know, there's there's probably not a player in the NBA like him that it's literally do not leave at any cost. And yeah. if you turn your head one time, they're going to make you pay. And I thought that was the difference that set the tone for me. I know the Pacers came back, had a lead. You know, Bam got in foul trouble, all that stuff, and and you know Miles definitely played better, but still. Um, when you lose a scouting report and that happens, it, that, that, that just that just can't happen. And so um, I thought that was the thing that stood out the most to me, to be honest with you. Yeah, it was really frustrating. And I know they've been, they've been putting Victor on um, on Duncan Robinson a lot. And one of the things that I've noticed with Victor is he likes to play help side quite a bit. And like you said, with Duncan Robinson, you can't play help side. You can't leave him. And Miami ran a lot of actions to get Duncan open. They set a lot of off-ball screens. They try to get him open. I mean, I haven't seen a whole lot of dribble handoffs between him and Bam in this series. Like, that was really talked about quite a bit heading into the series. And, you know, I'm just not sure if Vic is the right guy to be guarding him. So, with that being said, I don't really think anybody in the starting lineup can hang with him. I think the Pacers' best option is Edmund Sumner on a a lengthy guy like uh, Duncan Robinson. Do you think the Pacers should change that starting lineup heading into Game 3? 
Yeah, first, it's a great point you make about Victor. He is such a good help side defender, normally. I mean, that's kind of his thing. He likes playing mm-hmm. center field, and he's a tremendous athlete. And I do think he has good off-the-ball instincts, but, you know, when you're guarding Duncan Robinson, you can't be worried about off-the-ball. And, you know, it's not like Miami. I mean, Butler's a good driver, but, I mean, Crowder and Dragic aren't blowing by anybody. So, uh, Dragic um, was. I thought early <laughs> on. Right, right, right. But, I mean, like, shouldn't be driving right, by. Right, and, right. honestly, I mean, Dragic hit some big threes. And, and then, you know, a couple things stand out to me. First is, and I want to get to Dragic, and if I don't make this point, make sure to remind me. <laughs> okay. But, um, uh, yeah, sorry, I got a lot of thoughts. Um, <laughs> I would start off with this. In, in, in terms of your starting lineup question, Crowder versus Aaron Holiday, oh, boy, it's just a tough matchup. I know Aaron had a couple drives there, but – I'd like to see Justin Holiday in the starting lineup. Yeah, um, I get Sumner, but I want a little bit more of an offensive threat. I trust on the other end. Uh, you know, Sumner obviously has great height, great length, but Justin is you know just as tall as as um, Duncan Robinson. So I would have him chase Duncan Robinson around because Victor chasing him it also wears Victor out. And you know, Victor is not superhuman shape right now. That's just not realistic. And when you're going to shoot. I mean, how many threes did Victor shoot? At least 10. 11 of them. Um, he was uh, be short. 4 of 11 today. Was, was it 11? I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, which is a number he shouldn't be shooting. But, I mean, whatever. He, he hit several. But, you know, late in the fourth quarter, some of those shots are going to be short. And that's, I think, partly because, you know, Duncan Robinson, you're chasing him around. And thankfully for the Pacers, they didn't put Robinson back in the game. But So that's a switch I would like to see them make, if you're going to go starting lineup-wise, is Justin for Aaron. And then the second point I was going to make about Dragic, and I think you maybe tweeted this, and I, I, I wrote about this after game one. I don't want to see a lineup with Brogdon, Oladipo, and Warren all on the bench. Yeah. Like, I know your bench has played well in spurts, and they all had nice individual moments in game one, but I think Spolstra is handling things really well from a personnel standpoint. I mean, he's not even playing Kendrick Nunn. He didn't yeah. even play Duncan Robinson to end the game. <laughs> like, he left Dragic in with that reserve unit, and when the Pacers made that little run there, boy, it was either late third or early fourth. I think they cut it to maybe seven, and then Dragic hit a three. And, yeah. I mean, that's just the one guy out in that lineup that has been there, done in the playoffs, is, you know, a well-respected player in the league. And, and like, that's what I want to see from the Pacers of, I mean, selfishly, I, I would try to leave, uh, two of those three, Warren, Brogdon, Oladipo, in the game at all times. But yeah, I, I know yeah. that's probably a little greedy. But still, I think at least one of them is an absolute must. You know, I, I think the Pacers just lack, you know, they lack the individual that has been there, done that killer instinct in the playoffs as the lead guy. You know, mm-hmm. Warren's never been there. Brogdon was never the lead guy in Milwaukee. Victor, for a series a couple years ago. Miles, certainly not that. So, when you when you lack that, and they have it with Butler, and I mean, hell, Dragic looks like it lately. When they have a little bit of that, I think the Pacers have got to put their lead guys on the floor with that bench unit, kind of like you do when you're healthy. Obviously, having Domas with that group. Yeah, and I think you know I look at a, a team like Toronto, and they pretty much run like an eight man rotation half the time. And I know Jakar has to play a little bit to uh, expel Miles because Miles can't play 48 minutes. And even though Miles played great today, I don't. Ex- I mean, I told Fachi, I said I think this is going to be his best game of the series uh, that we see for Miles, just because it's so inconsistent with him. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, with, with Dragic, one thing that I really thought was a problem was he, he got going early in the third quarter. And he constantly just blows by Malcolm Brogdon time after time again. And it's like, I don't think Malcolm Brogdon is the right matchup for Goran Dragic. Um, I, I really want to see him back on Jimmy Butler because I think of the physicality and the size, and he's not quick. Uh, Jimmy's not super quick on his first step. I mean, he's good, but he's not super quick. Jimmy likes to use his body to kind of get to the rim. So I would almost rather see Malcolm try to guard that and and then and then find a way to put TJ Warren maybe on Jay Crowder and maybe put Vic on Goran Dragic him a little bit quicker that could stay in front of him. So I know that does you know hurt when you're trying to think of a guy that Vic can play on that he can play more help side defense. But I just I just don't know if there's a great matchup for these uh, for this team with the with the Heat because they've got so many great skill players they know their role and their offense moves so efficiently. That's that to me was the big difference in the second half here, at Kevin. I was just blown away by how Miami's offense moves compared to Indiana's. It's like Indiana runs a four out with Miles setting a high screen, and then everybody's just watching, and nobody does anything. And then that's why Miami got off to such a big big lead because the Pacers, you know, they might have a couple bad possessions and they hit a three, you know, try to keep the lead within like ten points. But it was never something like there was no dominant run there by the Pacers in that third quarter to really keep this game close. Yeah, you know, something that leading into the series I was really worried about was just half-court execution. Mm-hmm. It, it just, Domas does so much for this team in that part of the floor, and I was just really worried about that. And it's been a struggle to get to 100, you know, in both of these games, which obviously in today's NBA just, just, just can't fly. Um, I thought early on when Robinson made those threes, it got the Pacers, which is weird because they ended up getting into the bonus in the first quarter, but at least for the first couple possessions of the game, they kind of got into the three-point game, like settling way too much. And, and I just thought in general they settled a little bit, which I know is kind of a fine balance because when they do attack, it's 16 turnovers and they struggle in traffic and Miami does such a great job you know, clogging up that paint. And obviously you have no post presence to throw the ball into, just mm. not even just to alleviate a little stress. Just throw it in there and run some action off, off, off a post touch. You know, that's not in there either. Um, so I think right now, you know, you know full well that Warren continues to get a lot of the attention. I like the fact that Victor got to the foul line eight times. I think he's got to attack at will. And you've got to play. You have to just space the floor around Warren better. And I think that's where I, I, Aaron Holiday has his moments. But I think Justin is just a little bit more of an instinctual player off the ball. And so I'd like to maybe see him in there. Um, again, he doesn't give you the off the dribble, which I know has been a bit of an issue because driving on Miami um, has been a problem. And then, you know, it, it sounds obvious, but just you know, taking advantage of, of the Robinson, um, you know, Dragic defensive matchup. So, I mean, if Dragic is guarding Brogdon, Brogdon's got him by a couple inches and certainly some pounds, post Brogdon up. You know, Brogdon can be an effective – he's got a tremendous IQ. He can be effective there. Obviously, if Victor has – Victor settled too many times when one of those three guys were, were guarding him. You know, Hero thrown thrown in there as well. Um, so I think those are some other things that you would like to see differently moving into game three. Yeah, I really thought Victor settled for some three-point shots when he could have taken those guys off the dribble, and I thought there was – 
you know, six turnovers from Vic. A lot of those came from him trying to drive and then just not having the handle, which is something that he's going to have to continue to, you know, work on now that he's coming back after being off for about, you know, over a year. So um, he's still working out some of those kinks. You can tell Vic's not 100% Vic that he was two years ago. I'm not even sure if he ever will be. Um, (laughs) That's just a, a fear of mine. But I do think that we're starting to see flashes. I really liked when he did steal the ball and uh, tried to make it a, a dunk attempt where Jimmy Butler got him at the rim. It was good to see that burst from him. And I, I'm, I'm continuing to see him grow, but I just want to see him do more. And I think, you know, putting Aaron on the bench to me makes a lot of sense because, you know, there's not a lot of guys that can get to the cup off that bench unit, you know, especially without Domas, like you mentioned. I mean, not even for the, the starting unit, it's for the second unit as well. I mean, I tweeted today, I said, when is Doug McDermott going to show up for the playoffs? It's been six games now, and he's averaged two and a half points over the last, you know, two years being in the playoffs for the Pacers. He's just, he's non-existent, and his defense is awful. Jakar Sampson can't be your best bench player for two games in a row. I'm sorry, but, you know, in, in 15, 20 minutes, whatever he's getting, he's been their best player. So to me, really, you know, I think when it comes down to it, the offense has got to be a little bit more efficient in how they attack this team. You brought up a great point. I brought this up uh, in the previous uh, part with Fachi. When it comes to Brogdon, uh, Kevin, he doesn't use his body to his advantage a lot of times against these guys when he's going to the basket. And he plays under the rim so much, I feel like it's easier to guard him. And then secondly, last thing I want to say before I let you you know, have another talking point here, is when, when the Pacers run that offense that they're running with the four out, trying to get – you know, Turner to set a screen for one of the guards to drive, or if they go to set a screen and try to get that switch, Miami double teams, everybody just sits there and they're stagnant, and, and there's no ball, there's no movement outside of what's happening with the ball, no off-ball movement, and it's allowing Miami's defense to settle in, and I think that's really been causing a lot of havoc for the Pacers' offense. Yeah, I, I think those are good points. You know, Brogdon, is, he knows his game so well, it is surprising because he uses his body when he drives. He knows he's not yeah. going to blow by anybody, so he has to use that frame. But again, isolating him in some post-ups and, and even getting him off the ball. You know, Victor, I know Victor has had, I mean, what do you have, six turnovers today? Mm-hmm. But, you know, Brogdon as a spot-up shooter was such a weapon for Milwaukee last year, and now it seems like all his threes are just pounding at late clock, acting like he's going to drive and then pulling up in a guy's face and shooting a three. Like, mm-hmm. it's not just, I know you don't have you know Giannis to create clean looks or cleaner looks, <laughs> um, but that's something as well that, that, that you would like to see. It's just, you are, um, you have to be so solid on that in the half court. And I felt like there's been such positive signs in the first quarters of each game getting into the bonus. I mean, I, they had to have gotten the bonus before four or five minutes left in the first quarter today. I think they did the same thing in game one. I mean, that's that's huge. That's not Pacer-like. You know, they're, they're usually a team that struggles to get to the foul line. So I think if you can get that attacking mindset from Victor, I agree with you. I think he's been much more willing to attack. The dunk attempt against Houston, the dunk attempt obviously today as well. Um, you know, it just it almost seems like he's trying to show off the jump shot he's worked on so much. And it's like if you can get into the paint and force Miami to continue to collapse and, and just you know have a little bit more of a better handle in finishing those plays or finding guys that are open in the uh, in the corners, I think that would be well served because Justin Holiday has shot it much better mm-hmm. over the past week. So I think he's a guy if you can get him in there as well, that would um, help out that starting unit. 
Yeah, and that's that's a big thing, you know. Getting good looks for these guys has just been a problem. And I don't know I don't really know what the Pacers can do. I mean, I don't know if they can just drastically change their offense, but you know, I, I really was just kind of frustrated with, you know, the lack of efficiency that we saw today. It just to me, it just felt like Miami was quicker to every loose ball. They were more they were more energized for this game than the Pacers. They were the one that acted like they had to win this game being down one oh. And I just I can't stand when I feel like my team gets out toughed by the other team. I know Miami on paper is better. I know Miami on paper is fully healthy where the Pacers aren't fully healthy. But I still think this Pacers team is good enough to compete. And I feel like, really, they didn't compete for 48 minutes. I'm not even sure how many quarters I really felt they competed really hard. Maybe three at the most. But it, it's just got to – there's got to be something with inside this Pacers team where they just figure out a way to make this a series because – I know the Pacers extended Nate McMillan, and um, I've been kind of accused of being a Nate, uh, a, a, a guy that's supporting Nate's decision or Kevin Pritchard's decision to keep Nate. But with him getting extended, if he gets swept again in the playoffs, this is not going to be a good look for the uh, for the coaching staff heading into the off season. No, not at all. You know, I tweeted out at the end of the game, three and fourteen now in your last seventeen playoff games, and and all of those under Nate and his staff and. You know, I, I, I know it's not apples to apples, but, you know, when you look at what Houston is doing in the 4-5 matchup across the way without R- Russell Westbrook, I mean, they've demolished Oklahoma City in these two matchups. And, yeah, certainly Harden, you know, speaks for himself. But still, I mean, they are missing an incredible talent, one of the better players in the NBA, and they've won going away both those games. And the Pacers have, you know, what, lost by – you know, double digits the first game and, and, and nine today. So it is disappointing to not see them be not two games into it and there's been zero game pressure on the heat in the final three minutes. Yeah. I, and, I, I expect I expected more from this team because I, I, I look at Miami and you know, you've you've heard me kind of rant about this. I I'm probably against uh your line of thinking on Nate. When you're in this market and you know you aren't the most talented team night in and night out. Well, I don't think there, there's that stark of a talent difference between the Heat and the Pacers, and we could debate that <laughs> in the offseason. But yeah. when you look at it on paper right now, to me, there's a stark contrast between the two head coaches. Yeah. And again, when you're in this market, you've got to try and create other advantages. And one of that can be coaching. If you have an advantage from an X and O standpoint night in and night out, that can make up for you maybe can't attract that you know bona fide all NBA type of talent in free agency. Like you can out execute teams late in games, out of timeouts, make adjustments, those sorts of things. And I just continue to think come playoff time when you truly get scouted. I mean that's when you these aren't back to backs or five nights and seven and guys are traveling like none. I mean this is locked in effort is high and they study you you know one through thirteen on your roster. I think the Pacers have gotten exposed clearly uh, in the Nate McMillan era, and unfortunately that's been a trend of his. And when you're 16, 17 years into it, I, I just can't ignore that, that, that playoff resume. And, and I hear all of that, Kevin. And the only reason I even said that I, I don't think McMillan should have got fired is because I think he's done a good job in the regular season, especially considering all the injuries. That was my big thing. It's like I don't think he's done anything that warrants a firing, especially if you looked at the playoff resume with the Pacers. 
I mean, the first year was Paul George's last year. It was a, it was an awful year to even watch the Pacers. The roster was awful. Uh, they got swept, but it was a close series, even though they got swept. I think it was like a 16-point differential for the whole four games. Then the next year, with a fully healthy roster, they take LeBron and the Cavs to seven games. You know, possibly could have won that game in Game 7. I understand that he could have made some different moves, didn't. And then last year, without Vic, obviously, he got swept by Boston. So, to me, it was just like, I don't feel like he's really been given a fair shot as far as with this Pacers roster fully healthy and with the moves Kevin Pritchard has made. But, you know, I definitely do see the flaws and I in this game. I, Go ahead. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you at all from a regular season standpoint. I mean, trust me, I, I, I understand why Kevin Pritchard decided to extend him. Um, but I also think you had to know what you were hiring at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, this has been the track record, Portland, Seattle, and now here. That's fair. And, you know, have they been heavily favored in all these series? No, there's been, I think, definitely more often than not, they are the lower-seeded team. But, I mean, if for some reason you were to get swept, I mean, three sweeps in four years? Yeah. That's just, <laughs> um, it's just a, it's a really, really tough look. And I do think there's something about an 82-game season, you know, um trying different things in the regular season, you know, trying to peak at the right time. I guess what I'm saying, you know, you, you usually hear that. And we usually hear that in this market, you know, from, you know, Tom Crane or Archie Miller, or they running their guys into the ground, you know, and then no success in the big 10 tournament or the NCAA tournament, you know, things like that. Can you get your team peaking at the right time? And if you look at the track record, you know, Nate McMillan teams have not peaked at all in the playoffs. And that would be my concern. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I just – I agree with all that. And, I mean, I'm not trying to sit here and say that I think Nate's this great coach because I hated the hiring when they first brought him in. Um, I was I was okay with him letting Vogel go, and I've said that before, because, I mean, <laughs> Vogel has his uh, offensive struggles as well. And it was frustrating a lot of times with how much he believed in his players where he wouldn't pull them out, especially uh, – I think it all goes back to that Roy Hibbert versus the Hawks series – on thirteen fourteen, when uh, we almost lost that first round to the Hawks, but you know it's just I don't know who the right coach is for this team. They need an offensive minded coach. They've gone a lot with defensive minded coaches, and in today's NBA, they have Dan Burke. I, I think he's the guy that's been running the defense for the past what fifteen twenty years for this team. I mean, he's been here forever. So how much of a difference does the head coach make in that defensive scheme? Now I don't think it's that big of a difference. They need an offensive minded coach. And uh, when I saw a rumor about Mike D'Antoni, I know it's completely drastically different. I was kind of intrigued by it. I'm like, okay, I could I could enjoy seeing a little bit of an offensive uh, uptick for this Pacers team. I think that they have a lot of good offensive players. But the problem with me is I'm so sick and tired of the mentality that this organization takes with this Pacers team where it's, uh, you know, built, not bought. That whole thing was annoying. I, I think the uh, – Oh, we're the underdogs. Everybody just doesn't believe in us. They always count us out. Like, how many years in a row are we going to hear that? I'm, I'm sick and tired of hearing that. Go out there and be a dominant team. Quit trying to be the team that's always overlooked and trying to prove a point because eventually that's going to wear out on the fans, and it's already wearing out on me. Yeah, and I, I don't know if you were meaning to all of a sudden turn this into kind of a bigger picture, you know, end of the pod, but I, I'm perfectly fine with it. It's, it's cool. I, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more with, with what, what you're stating. I mean, is it fun watching the Pacers compete in an 82-game regular season? Without a doubt. Do they play with great effort every night and up to a high standard and, and play pretty nice basketball in terms of sharing and things like that? For sure. But at the end of the day, 
you know, in, in 15 years, I don't know if I'm going to remember a 48 win season in 2018 or what, whatever. No, you're, this is professional sports and you remember the playoff runs. I remember vividly, and I'm sure everyone does, you know, beating the Hawks in a tough series and then, you know, uh, Hibbert's block on Melo and, and obviously all of the heat battles that you had, um, against LeBron and Wade and Bosch. So, that's what I think you you need and want to to try and get to, and and it's not easy. I don't want anyone to think that like it is all of a sudden what I'm saying or what I believe should happen is just fall out of bed stuff and it's going to happen. It's difficult, you know. I, I was talking with JMV last night, and I you know I said if I were probably running the show, I'd look long and hard at trying to move Miles and Victor this this off season because I have concerns about Miles just. And the two big fit, you know, I think Miles is a fine player. I'm not, I'm like, you know, some people you know, think he can't play dead. No, no, no. Like, he's a fine player. But I just don't think two bigs coexist. And so I'm trying to raise the ceiling. Boom, I'm going to move one of them. That's my thought there. Yeah, and then yeah. With Victor, I, 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 have, I have concerns with Victor of just, like you said earlier, is he ever going to get back all the way? And then secondly, does he want to be here long term? That's a good point. And the last thing you want to do is not get any return on him, it's not going to be great return. It's not going to be what you got for Paul, but it would be some return. And I know that's whatever, semi blowing it up or whatever you want to call it. But I think there are some pieces in place to still build around. And I don't know exactly what it would look like, who you'd get, those sorts of things. But I'm all about trying to raise the ceiling for what this team can do in the postseason. And I think we know where the ceiling is with this current group. No, and I agree with that. I mean, I'd be interested to see how different this series would be played out right now if Sabonis was healthy and if you had Jeremy Lamb. I think that he's such a missing piece that people forget about just because of his ability to create and how long he is. I think that he could definitely be a help with that second unit to actually have a score. But, you know, I I definitely think Miles is the guy you got to move on from between him and Sabonis. I mean, it's no secret that I am a bigger Sabonis fan than I am a Miles fan. But I think it's just because of the inconsistency. Like we saw today, Miles was really effective. But, you know, the game before that, he wasn't. So it's like, what are you going to get from Miles day in and day out? And we don't really know. And I, I don't know. I'm sure you heard Dan go, uh, Dan Dockage go off on Miles uh, to open up his show <laughs> yesterday. I don't, I don't necessarily know if I think Miles is as soft as Dan thinks he is. But I definitely think that mentally, when it comes down to it, I do think mentally, Miles does have some softness when it comes to mental toughness. So, you know, I'm not I'm not sure which player gets you more in return. I think Sabonis obviously gets you a little bit more in return because he's an all-star and he's got that on him. But I think long-term fit, he just makes more sense because I think he helps the entire team uh, elevate their game. And where I think Miles is good for himself and he's a good rim protector, he's not elevating guys. Like, you, you, you basically lost all of Doug McDermott for this entire bubble and uh besides the Rockets game and, and and the playoffs because you don't have a guy like Sabonis to free him up. TG McConnell definitely misses him. I know Brogdon's missing him on the screen and roll and the Pacers altogether miss him because of his ability to facilitate once he gets the ball in a pick and pop pick and roll situation. But yeah, the interesting thing with Victor, so here's where I stand on this and I'm just curious your thoughts because you said you trade him to get something back in return. Now what if he doesn't tell you if he wants to come back or not? I, I think you have to offer him a max contract because my personal opinion, like Indiana is known for not taking care of their players. Paul George has been adamant about, oh, they don't want to pay me. They don't want to, 
you know, give me the right people to play with, you know. If they go out there and say, hey, Vic, we're not going to pay you the max, kind of like low bomb, kind of like Charlotte did with Kimball Walker, I think he's going to look for somewhere else to go, and it's going to put a, a black eye on Indiana as far as saying, you know, they don't want to pay their players. They don't want to go out there and make risk because we've seen, like, they haven't made a lot of risky moves. So I know I'm talking a lot, but I really just think you got to give him the max. And if he decides, hey, he wants to walk away, you got to figure out maybe they can do a sign-in trade. And if he wants to go to Miami, there's some players down there that I wouldn't be opposed to the Pacers bringing back. Yeah, you, you know, I'll say this. Victor and the Max, there, there's no chance I would be doing that. Um, <laughs> I, I get where you're coming from, but if there is a future free agent that is going to be, whatever, worried or scared of Indiana because they didn't play pay a Victor Olad, injured Victor Oladipo the Max deal, then that player doesn't need to be coming here. Like you can sit down with that agent and that player and have an honest conversation and say, look, we didn't, we think max players or whatever, top 15 players in the league, top 20 players in the league. We think you're one of them, whoever that player is down the road. We didn't think he was at that time. Like you can be, I would hope that from a business standpoint, agents and players would understand. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, he, he, he is not a max player to me. That would be a big mistake. I think for this franchise, I would put them in a hole financially that, um, that, that would be difficult to get out of now that you don't have really anybody, none of your top, I guess we could argue where Aaron holiday is. He's probably not a top seven player on this team when everyone's healthy. You don't have a top seven player on this team on a rookie contract. Yeah. So it's very difficult from a cap standpoint to make that work when you don't know about Goga, TJ Leaf should be in Fort Wayne, and Holiday is, you know, kind of a he's probably a rotational player, but again, he's not top, whatever, six player, seven player. So, you know, I think what you would do with Victor this offseason, if he doesn't give you that answer, you've got to either project what that answer is, try and find out that answer, or you go to the other question. Do we think he can get to that level? Do yeah. you think Victor Oladipo can be the lead dog on a championship-level team? That, that's the question. You have, you have to ask that question, Kevin Pritchard, Chad Buchanan, Kelly Kroskoff, Peter Dinwiddie, all those people. And then the second question that you, you have to ask, and you would ask Victor and certainly ask internally as well, do we think he wants to be here long-term? Yeah. Because it would just be such such a kick in the you-know-what if – if he walked next summer and you didn't get anything in return. And, and the Victor I've seen in the bubble, I, I've seen a little bit more flash. I still don't think he's a max-level player. I don't think he's terrible by any means. Like I think no. he's a solid player. But max-level to me, yeah, I know the optics maybe wouldn't rub everybody the right way, but still, the max has got to mean something, and I got to get return on that. And I, I wouldn't like, I, I wouldn't want to guess on that return. Yeah, and, I, and personally, like, the, I would feel better going that route. I wouldn't want to pay him the max. I just, you know, I just worry about the the stigma of Indiana being known as a a team that's not willing to go out and you know be a championship contender by making or spending money. I guess you could say because they've been kind of known for that for being a little bit of a tightwad uh, of, a, of an organization. So, long story short, there. I mean. I want Victor here if he wants to be here, but if he doesn't want to be here and if he's going to be overpaid, it's it's probably not a good match. And really, if you think about it, there's a lot of money that the Pacers are playing are paying their guys right now. Uh, I think Jeremy Lamb's at 13. We got T.J. Warren for 
I think it's another year, uh, maybe another year after that. I can't remember, but he's about eleven or uh, ten or eleven million. And then you got Sabonis' extension, Turner's extension. You, you just you just signed Brogdon. You're running out of money, and you're you're paying a lot of mediocre guys. Uh, I shouldn't say mediocre, but you're paying a lot of guys that aren't in the top twenty uh, a good amount of money. And if you're going to be doing that, and you're going to keep getting bounced in the first round, you got to figure out a way to go out and get a player that's going to make a difference. And I'm not sure exactly what kind of deal you make with Miles. I've, I've seen a lot of the uh, Miles and Doug McDermott for Drew Holiday floating around. I uh, I brought that up last summer, and it got shut down pretty quick by a lot of fans. But with this small ball lineup, I do like the idea of Drew Holiday with this, with that starting lineup, uh, Kevin. Yeah, you know, you, you've you thrown a couple of trades at me that I'm trying to think back on. Um, yeah, <laughs> something like that would make sense. You know, it, I, I said this DMV yesterday. I, I'd like a four man that has a rebounding, or excuse me, a rebounding presence and can hit an open three. Yeah. Um, you know, I, Aaron, Aaron Gordon's kind of always been the hot name, but if you give me a 6 8 guy that can go get you eight boards a night and can shoot 35% from three, 34%. I mean, you know, I'm not asking for an all-star, but then he can be interchangeable on the defensive end. I think that can really help this team and kind of allow you to still play small-ish, not total small ball like a Drew Holiday with Victor and Malcolm in the starting lineup. But then all of a sudden, I'm thinking, okay, 6'4", Victor, 6'5", Malcolm, 6'8", TJ Horn, and then that that new guy at the four, whoever that is, you can switch on the defensive end. You are a better rebounding team, and you can still stretch the floor a little bit and let Domas have some space. So, you know, moving Miles for that sort of player, you know, packaging Miles and Victor for that sort of player, and then something else, you know, it, it w- would also be on my mind. And obviously, a draft pick. You know, I know it's kind of a crapshoot this year. You don't have a first round pick, but you're going to have to hit on a draft pick in a big way very soon. Very yeah. soon. Um, so that's something, you know, you hit on Granger and that led to Paul, you know, and, and then all of a sudden you became an Eastern Conference, you know, finalist contender around those guys. There were other supplemental, you know, draft picks or acquisitions around that. But as you project, you know, a little bit down the road, uh, that's where this draft and the next draft, yeah, it's got to be an absolute, absolute hit out of one of those picks. Yeah, and that's kind of why I thought maybe the Pacers might be intrigued by a Turner for the fourth pick from New Orleans last year, just because of salary purposes. Uh, Getting that guy on a rookie contract would make a huge difference, give them a little bit more space. And honestly, they probably could have been able to pay uh, Bojan and still trade for Malcolm if they would have done that Turner deal. So, you know, I I think a Bojan-type player would have been a really nice fit with this team. I don't know how much he would have stunted the growth of T.J. Warren. So there's a... You know, always questions to how they would go about building this roster. But, you know, Aaron Gordon's a name I like. He's not really been a consistent three-point shooter, but he's been a really good defender, and he is a good rebounder. I, I think um, he does a, he does a lot of things well when he when he is a facilitator, and I don't know how him and Sabonis would coexist together, but I do think that with him coming to Indiana maybe that they would be able to uh, elevate his game because that's one thing that we've noticed with, with McMillan, with Vogel, those guys have done a really good job of developing young players, getting young guys to take that next step. Now, 
the playoffs, their X's and O's, and their execution has been a little poor. But I have been I have been fascinated by how the, how they've been able to get guys to grow. I mean, you look at Bojan comes here; he's a lot better. Darren Collison looked a lot better in a Pacers uniform. Uh, Vic Sabonis, um, they've all gotten better. I mean, really, it's immediate. yeah, TJ Warren, the only guy that I really feel like has not elevated his game over the past couple of years is Miles. And uh, I don't mm-hmm. know if that's more on Miles or if that's on the coaching staff, but uh, it's been a weird fit for Miles. I understand that there's a lot of circumstances that he's had to go through, but I just I just feel like he is a guy you have to move on from. $18 million is a lot of, pl- a lot of money to be playing a guy who's a career 11-6 and six in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think a lot of that. I would agree with, uh, yeah, from a you know individual development, several guys, you just rattled off those names, have had career years here. So um, I think that would be attractive. Uh, but, you know, I keep on going back to what I just said. I mean, in this market, man, a draft pick has got to come. Yeah. You know, a draft pick has got to be hit on. And in the NBA, it is difficult as can be. I mean, it is you swing and miss more in the NBA, certainly, than you do in the NFL. Um, so it's it, it's very tough, but you know, in some way, could you? I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud here of a, you know, Victor for, so Victor for a lottery pick, Miles for that four guy I was talking about, and then you kind of move forward with that. Uh, maybe that lottery pick becomes a scoring you know guard that can play alongside Brogdon. Maybe it's Lamb and Warren and. Brogged in the starting lineup, and that rookie comes off the bench. I don't, you know, again, I'm just kind of thinking out loud here. Um, and a couple things, I guess, before we before we wrap. Miles, really, pretty good today. I mean, better. Yeah. So I think that 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 deserves mention for how much he gets ripped. Um, better from him. And then secondly, I mean, Domas is the most important player on this team. I just, you know, I've I, I've been a huge advocate of that. And I think we are seeing that. I think come playoff time, just having a guy that's multifaceted, that can do a lot of things, that can rebound the ball at a high level, even though the Pacers have been okay on the glass, maybe a little bit better than okay through these first two games, um, that would just do wonders for this team. Yeah, and I, I agree with all that. I mean, Miles definitely deserves credit for the game he played today. I mean, it was uh, it was a great great effort from him, especially on the offensive end. And I think when you see Miles catch and shoot with no hesitation – I think that's when he's at his best. He he feels a little bit more confident. Didn't rush it, but he just caught it, got himself set, and took a nice shot, and they went in. So I think when he hits a couple, that really helps you know helps his game grow because he sees the ball go in. He feels a lot more comfortable and more confident in his shot. But yeah, I mean the draft picks make a lot of sense, and even if they still, I mean if, even if they don't trade for a lottery pick, yeah, I look at teams like. Um, like Toronto, for example, OG Ananobi was drafted 23. Pascal Siakam was drafted in the late 20s. Terrence Davis was a late 20s player as well. If you can find a, a guy that, like a Nick Nurse type coach, I'm there's I'm sure there's another coach out there that would be a great developer of young players. I mean, if you can stay in that 20 range and get a guy, I mean, Aaron Holiday has been the best draft pick the Pacers have had over the past three years, and I like Aaron Holiday a lot, but I don't know if he's ever going to be a starter in this league. So, you know, they have to be a little bit more aggressive, like I like you said, in the draft. they got to get some of those rookie contracts because they can't afford to keep paying all these guys all this much money. They're going to run out of money, and uh, they're going to run out of mouths to feed. So got to figure out a way. I'm, I'm intrigued to see what they can do. I haven't paid too much attention to this year's draft. I don't know what players are available, how good this draft really is, but – 
Um, maybe even if they traded for somebody on a rookie contract that's uh, had a maybe not a good year or two with their team that's got potential. I don't know what the way to go is, Kevin, but at the end of the day, I just think this team has to make some moves and they have to continue to go forward. And if they continue to stay the same, it's just going to be a continuing disappointment for Pacer fans. Yeah, agreed. And I don't want people to think, too, that this is like a uh, this is a very reactionary game one, game two sort of thing. <laughs> I mean, this is something that I've, that, that I've kind of thought throughout of, of just how do you raise the ceiling? You know, we know the Pacers are a very good regular season team and have overachieved, but I'm all about trying to raise the ceiling. It's going to take risks. It's not going to be easy, but welcome to professional sports and welcome to the NBA in a small market. Absolutely. So real quick, just to kind of pull everything back together for game three, uh, you already mentioned you would put Justin Holiday in the lineup for Aaron Holiday with the starters. Are there any other adjustments you'd like to see? Yeah, I mean, again, uh, attack Robinson, Hero, and Dragic when you have the opportunities. Um, as crazy as it sounds, when you throw a little zone at them, I, I don't know if that would do something, but um, you know, sometimes Butler can penetrate, and it just, boy, he's hit some stupid shots so far. <laughs> um, that would be the that would be the big thing, I think, offensively. And like I said, from a rotation standpoint, yeah, Justin in there for Aaron. But I think you got to have Brogdon, Victor, and TJ Warren, one of those three, at least, on the floor at all times. Yeah. I thought that was a key stretch today for Miami um, when they kept Dragic on the floor. So I think that's something that I, I would look into. And, and I know I'm probably knocking Sumner out of the rotation or, I don't know, somebody out or limiting their minutes. Uh, maybe Aaron Holiday limiting his minutes a little McDermott. bit. McDermott. <laughs> I, I just, yeah, maybe Doug. I mean, yeah, I mean, certainly Nate benched him before in the playoffs. But I think that's something that you have to try. Yeah, and I agree with all that. And I think one thing that I've noticed a lot is Miami gets where they want whenever they want, and Indiana doesn't do anything to really prevent Miami from doing what they want to do on the offensive end. And then defensively, Miami, when they get their heels locked in, I mean, they're uh, they're really tough to score on. And the Pacers have had struggles, and they've had some really tough, toughly contested shots. But you got to get more than just Brogdon and Oladipo getting to the free throw line. I think they shot – um, 17 of the 20 free throws today. So I would like to see Warren do a better job of getting to the uh, to the free throw line. And I think if Duncan Robinson's going to switch on to Miles Turner, while I know he's not a great post player, I, I think he's got to run to the rim and they got to get him the ball and they got to force Duncan Robinson to either a let him get an easy layup or foul him and get Duncan in foul trouble because if they can get him off the court, I, I think the Pacers, you know, that opens up a lot of things for the Pacers, but. All things said, Kevin, I know it's been a long, uh, longer podcast than we usually do, but uh, thanks for coming on, man. And uh, everybody can find you on Twitter at K Bowen. Uh, is it 1070 or just uh, K Bowen? Yep. Yep. K Bowen 1070. And then, uh, yeah, 1075thefan.com for all the uh, all the written work. Yeah, and if you're a, if you're a Colts fan, Kevin's been out at the uh, at the training camps uh, this week. So uh, make sure you guys check out all that. And uh, we will talk to you all next week. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. 
And right now you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.